You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bringing in, it's time for another episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard, here for episode 25. We're reaching milestones here, and I have a special guest today. It's my friend, John Kerry. Uh, just a little background, like always. Uh, John is the owner of several businesses, including uh, 985 Products, uh, Kerry Holdings. He is a business consultant, and most recently, one of his biggest dives is his own media company, Bayou Report. Now, if that name sounds familiar to some of you listening, that is because John was kind enough to ask me to help contribute to that as a sports columnist as well as a content producer. So I've been doing some videos that I've shared to the huddle as of late. Um, but that is John's latest latest venture. So uh, we welcome him to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. John, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, Mike. Absolutely, man. So uh, let's dive right into this. So you've been, let's start with Kerry uh, Holdings. Um, you know, you've been doing a lot of business consulting for, I mean, honestly, for as long as I can remember. Um, you and I first yes. met at Nichols. Um, I, my first year of school there, we had a math class together. Uh, and that's kind of where we met, kept in touch, uh, through Facebook and social media. And then I, I really can't even pinpoint when Kerry holding started. So let's, let's dive into that. Fill us in on how that all came to be. Yeah. Let me organize that for you. It, uh, when I graduated in 2010, I wanted to go on that business and even the political consultant side of, uh, the business. So in 2011, I actually launched Kerry consulting group and, Seeing my future five-year plan, seeing the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a super entrepreneur. I love business, love helping businesses grow. So I developed Carry Holdings as the parent company. And it's actually Carry Holdings that owns 985 Products, Buyer Report, Carry Consultant Group, and every other entity that we have. So th- those are the individual entities that we put under Carry Holdings. But with Carry Consultant Group is branding and business management, taking businesses to the next level. If business is not growing in our community or communities, you know, that's a direct correlation and economic impact for businesses that fail and businesses that grow. So for me, not only is it a passion, I believe it's a calling for me to contribute to our economy and our communities by helping these small businesses go to the next level. Dude, absolutely, 100 percent. Um you know, and you know this about me, obviously, with do-it-all marketing, we're still very, very much in the infancy stage of that company, but similar similar kind of mindset and approach that you have, you know, um, fortunately, a lot of the clients that we've had are friends of mine, it's people I either grew up with or have stayed in contact with, but, I mean, when you can lend a helping hand and help other people grow their business. Now we specifically focus on the social media side of things. Um, you know, it's a rewarding feeling. It's a good feeling to be able to turn around and say, you help this business or that business. So I vibe with that 100%. Now, um, 
some of the businesses I, I know you've you've helped or some of the pages that I can think of. Uh, there's a, a musical group which I, the name is slipping my mind right now, but I know you invited me to like that page. Which what group was that? Uh, one of we have two music clients. The, one of the main ones is Archangel Music Group. Yeah. And uh, it's the artist, M. Anthony. He's actually a local artist from the Bayou region. And one of the things he's been doing for years is singing Christian and gospel music. Also, is the praise team leader at his local church. And that's basically, it, it's not like your traditional Christian or gospel music. It's, it's more of Christian music with twists twist to get people to not only come closer to God, but to choose music as an outlet. And that's why the theme is I choose music to get people like no matter what we're going through, hey, choose music, use music as an outlet to relieve stress or whatever you're going through. So that's one of my favorite projects that we're working with right now. Awesome, man. And then um, just kind of diving into uh, 985 a little bit, which we talked briefly touched on. You guys just released a, um, a new hot sauce with 985 products. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, and that was fun. We actually developed that hot sauce in 2016. But instead of us releasing the hot sauce, we actually released the Cajun Allspice first. And uh, basically, we wanted to create a product that was Cajun-inspired, but also had a twist to it with other elements instead of using the same ingredients. Also, when you buy different products on the shelf, they're so packed with with salt. So our products... It's low sodium, but still has that flavor that people are looking for. So that's what our hot sauce and all spices comprise of. And we've been doing amazing with the hot sauce because you can cook with it. You can pour it on anything. It's selling nationwide. And, and that's one of our best projects to date. Dude, that's awesome, man. I'm happy to hear that. You know, um, I don't know if you know this uh, about my life, but my wife is actually a dietitian. So when you talk about the low sodium you know that's something we constantly look for in all of our foods whenever we're shopping you know whether it be um you know canned vegetables which we try to stay away from try to go the fresh route but if we are looking at you know canned products that's one of the things we constantly look for is the low sodium and obviously that's that's a great product to have here in South Louisiana, and I know you said it's gone nationwide, but when it's homegrown, that's that's a pretty big deal considering the the line of health that we have down here in the South because we love all those those spicy, uh, saturated and salt seafoods and everything like that. So that's that's a big deal, man. Yeah, absolutely. I think the misconception is that people use salt as a seasoning, and they think they have to. And salt is not really meant for seasoning. What it does, it enhances some of the seasonings, depending on what you use. Mm-hmm. But you don't need all that sodium in your food when you find the right. It's like when you drink wine. You know, you got to find the right pairing to get the best notes from the wine. So that is why it is important for people to know that, hey, we have a great product. It doesn't have all this salt. It has all the flavors that, that you would thoroughly enjoy in your cooking and cuisines. Speaking of wine, let's let's talk a little bit about that for a second here now that you brought it up because that's, again, when, when I tell you Kerry is a man of many hats, he's he's got businesses in almost every sector, it seems like, but wine's another one with, uh, is it, it's Kerry, what's the name of it again? Kerry's Wine Club? Kerry's Wine Club, yes. Yeah. 
So tell us a little bit about that. You know, what's when when did you spark an interest in wine and how did that one kind of take off? Uh, my interest was years and years ago. Uh, obviously, I love, I'm a big foodie. I love food and I love wine. But it really wasn't until I went to California where I spent time and lived there for two years where I started really diving into enjoying different types of wines and different pairings and begin the process of launching Carrie's Wine Club, which I focus as red wine currently, although we do have a sparkling wine out for the summer. And just the different notes from the Cabernets to the Merlots uh, and showing people how to properly pair wine. You hear a lot of people say, oh, I like a sweet wine, but I can get them, a, say, a strong Cabernet and have them taste it first. And they will say it's not sweet enough. And then I can give them like a certain cheese or fruit. Well, here, try this. And now try. And it just blows their mind that enhances. Oh, wow. I haven't been properly pairing the wines. So uh, just educating people about my love and wine and uh, another reason to have a party. Absolutely, man. And, you know, it was funny because um, when I hopped on a conference call uh, with you and uh, Brandon, your business partner, one of the things that uh, John had told me, and it, it was kind of funny, he was like, hey, man, like, hop on Carrie's Wine Club, get some wine. I'm like, I would... Except I don't really drink this stuff. I, I'm more of a beer guy. So, um, I, I don't know, man. Like, I just, it, it's not that I've dislike wine. I just never developed that taste for it, you know? Like, and that's what's interesting, I think, about the, the sector of alcohol is people have their niches with what they like, you know? For, for hey, some hey, people, hey. it's wine. For some, it's IPAs. For some, it may be, um, loggers whatever it is people just develop these tastes and then that's pretty much the avenue they stick with but um going going forward so the let's get into the meat and potatoes of this so buy your report that's really um what i want to focus on so one of the th one of the things uh, let me set the set the scene and kind of set the picture here so i get a message from from john uh, back in March, it was shortly after Mardi Gras and in the message specifically, I remember him saying, I meant to reach out to you before Mardi Gras. Um, but I, I'm launching by your report at this point. I had heard of it, um, because I had been invited to like the page and everything. And he said, look, I need, I need a sports columnist and you know, I'd love for you to come be part of it. And for me personally, you, you know, with the way I kind of fell out of journalism, which I've talked about on this podcast before, you know, I I had never really envisioned myself kind of diving back in. And if I did, it would have to be the perfect setup. Now, without going into any, any of the financial factors or that side of it, you know, I, I inquired a couple of things with John. Um, and... You know, I wanted to make sure that I could cross over between Hotard Huddle and also work with him with Bayou Report because obviously with Hotard Huddle, I've been working on this for four years now and it's it's a love of mine. You know, it's it, it's my baby. I've watched it grow. I've evolved as a writer in that time. So there's a lot of sentimental value to it and I would never want to basically throw that under the rug essentially. Well, you know, I asked about the crossover and... What really sold me about helping you guys with Bayou Report and 
you know, saying, hell yeah, let's do it, was when I asked about cross-promotion. You were like, dude, I'm all about it. If we can help each other's businesses, that's always a huge win. So from that, from those words there, it was pretty much like, all right, no-brainer. It's not going to conflict with anything I'm doing now, so why not? Um, so that's how I got to be involved with it, but... Uh, from your standpoint, John, what's what made you want to dive into owning your own media entity? Before I answer that question, one of the things you pointed out was about the crossover factor. When I was 10 years old, my pastor from back in New Orleans, he said something that stuck out, that, that stuck with me year after year after year is pray for people's success. And that is so important is because you need to develop a character where you want everybody to win. I never understood the enviness of people or people wishing for people to sell you. Like, man, how amazing if everyone in your network and your circle can win. Because at the end of the day, your net worth is your network. So that is why anybody who I'm engaged with, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure they succeed. Hell yeah. Absolutely, and I mean that's uh, your business resume and acumen speaks for itself because because of all the companies you've worked with and even developed yourself. So, um, with Bayou Report, now let's let's get into that. So, how did what was the conversation like? What was the backroom conversation of? All right, I'm starting this and I'm doing it. The backroom conversation all came down to independency and information flow. It was something that over the past years, you can you can even argue from since the beginning, but mainly the past years, there is no platform of independency that just simply report on the news without an agenda. Also, there is no platform for the community to express their concerns, to report tips where the media would say, you know what, I will look into it for you. So that was a, a challenge that I wanted to take up and create our own news and media site, not only to cover health, sports, and local topic and top stories, but to have a strong investigative journalism piece and to hold our officials accountable and, and not to look for anything, but to let them know that, hey, Buy Your Report is watching. Do your job do better and let's grow a community, you know, without corruption, without misconduct. Let's grow a community where people are looking at us for a, a community as an example of how to shine and, and how to grow. So that, that is why we launched Bayou Report. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's those kind of values that also align with, with my own outlook on journalism in a nutshell and life in general because one of the biggest – uh, pet peeves of mine is the amount of information that is flown across social media platforms that is false. Um, and obviously through the pandemic and, you know, all the political warfare that's happening between the right and the left, you see so much misinformation and there's just this incessant need of consumers to see a meme and see a graphic with words on it and just hit share. And it's, you know, honestly, you want to talk about one of the biggest diseases of society, that's probably one of them. So with Bayou Report, you know, essentially with with our our team 
being a watchdog, I think that's ultra important, and I think that is a lost art in today's journalism. You know, the media was essentially started to report the news, be that watchdog, you know, and of course we all... So we all lean one way or the other, of course, uh, in most arenas and most political issues. But Correct. it's important to be able to not only fact check yourself, but also search for the other side of the argument. And, you know, based on what I've seen now, I have nothing to do with the news side of Bayou Report. I, I stick to the arena I was brought in for, which is sports. But it's refreshing to really see that come from by your report and i'm not just saying that because you know i work with you guys it's the damn truth because you don't see a lot of that a lot of it is clickbaited headlines a lot of it's trying to stoke the fire and you don't see a whole lot of that with by your report and you're still seeing the same amount of interaction if you give people the facts and try to be as straight narrow objective and fair as possible Everyone wins, and it's such a lost art in today's game. And we pride ourselves in, in doing that, and we're going to be independent as humanly possible. We won't be able to please anybody. Uh, that That's part of journalism. Some people simply don't like the mailman for delivering the bills. Um, but at the end of the day, we're going to stand strong. Our skins are thick, and we're going to continue to do what we do best. Absolutely, man. So... You know, when uh, – so I guess what's the long-term play here for Bayou Report? You know, what's – you're a man that sets sets plans. You know, you, you've already talked about in just the 20 minutes we've been talking about setting these five-year plans in three, five, ten, whatever it may be. So what? let's say five years from now, where do you hope to see Bayou Report take off to? Uh, I want to keep it very, very simple. Uh, with the same message, be that go-to outlet for all news. So, of course, I would like it to grow in every sector, every aspect. Uh, I want our investigative journalism team to grow. At the same time, I want our investigative journalism to be bored and not have nothing to report. Because if I have nothing to report in the region that I'm reporting of, that means we, people, we, people know we're watching. Corruption has been eradicated and eliminated. But I also want us to be that outlet to put out positive news, uh, ways to grow your businesses, and give people free information. One thing that by your report today, tomorrow, a year, 10 years from now, can say is we would never charge people for our news. We would never be a subscription-based company. Uh, information is for the people. It should always be free. Dude, 100%, because that's obviously something that's taken hold, because with... With the newspapers, with, um, yeah, I mean, I guess mainly newspapers. It would be it's read to sub, uh, subscribe to read. Essentially, you see this happening, uh, even with some of the competitors of Bayou Report, um, even with entities like ESPN. I mean, you can pay your two ninety nine to get the all access to the ESPN Plus. There's everyone is essentially doing it. You know, one of the big things I saw in the sports sector uh, was The Athletic. For probably nine months before they did their hard launch, I kept seeing ads pop up through social media saying, 
subscribe to The Athletic, and it was comparing prices of like a ballpark hot dog at $5.99 to how much you pay a month for The Athletic, and I think it was $1.99 or something low. But at the end of the day, people are still trying to get those subscribers up um, because essentially that's what's hedge funding a lot of the media. So um, for for Bayou Report, how, how do you guys – fund yourselves without doing a subscription base that a lot of companies are going to there's two methods that we're using currently which is uh ad buys which you're going to see some promos the, the thing that prevented the ad buys was when we launched COVID was happening at the same time mm-hmm. uh and but when COVID was happening, it wasn't the main news topic. It was like, oh, that might be a disease uh, virus that's out there. And so that's obviously a big issue as businesses are still trying to find ways to survive. Yep. And the second one is just general donations. Hey, you like what you see? Go to our page and donate. Give us some support. And um, that, those are the two methods that we are currently listening. And also to include our own funding from carry holdings to um, infuse and fuel journalism absolutely and dude there's been substantial growth with the online presence and online following for Bayou report um you know in a couple of months now you can share these numbers a lot more accurately than i can but i know i've seen the number of followers i've seen the engagement up on uh various posts and stuff like that um so so in the last couple of months you know what's what was y'all's benchmark and how are you feeling about the growth of Bayou report thus far to be perfectly honest with you, when I started by report, we have uh, a CRM, which is a client relationship management program. Our priority and focus was it was simply to just report on certain things without a heavy focus until COVID was over with. But obviously it took a different turn for the good. And we're averaging 1,300 people on our social media per month. We're over 5,000 people right now. Um, our website has reached over 100,000 touches. Uh, one of our articles have reached 80% of just that number. So uh, the number growth was just, okay, well, we got to get to work. <laughs> well, it's – and it's kind of – you know, one of the things that I can sort of relate to or kind of piggyback off of that with is with with COVID, I mean, essentially now is the perfect time to be putting online content. You know, if there's one benefit to this, it's people are reading more. Now, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of people reading the wrong information, but nonetheless, people are spending a lot of time on social media. Um, you know, when, when the lockdown first happened, uh, you know, of course, with me having ownership and do-it-all marketing and... Uh, my sector being social media, one of the first things I did a couple of weeks after lockdown was look up how much, you know, the usage has gone up on social media. Facebook, Facebook was getting hammered. Um, Zuckerberg had come out and basically said they're, they're understaffed right now because the amount of traffic is hard to keep up with. And thus, in turn, that's that's helping a lot of businesses who do have strong online presences. So, um, for a news site, you know, I, I you mentioned the hundred thousand views in just a couple of months, and that was unintended. I mean, you want to talk about 
I guess finding finding the win in a bad situation, that's it. And even with the blog with Huddle now, of course, it pales in comparison to the Bayou Report and what it is, but there's been a substantial uptick uh, in Hotard Huddle, you know. Um, I, I'm averaging close to, to 2,000 views a month for the 18 to 25 posts I'm putting out there each month, but... You know, it's it, it's up from the twelve hundred it was at prior to COVID. So, it's people are sitting at home, they're searching the internet, and they're clicking on a lot of things. So, for Bayou Report, obviously, that's a big win. Absolutely. Now, um, with uh, with Bayou Report, what's you know, I know uh, it kind of unintentionally spiraled into what it is now. Uh, but when you talk about slow rolling out the process and things like that, what was that supposed to be? Like, what was the end end of the year mark for you guys? Uh, the, <laughs> the end of the year mark was, you know what, if I can get about 5,000 people on our social media page and, you know, have a great time sharing some news uh, when people are, okay, my report is growing. That was our benchmark, not 5,000, <laughs> like now, <laughs> in July. That's but, awesome. you know, certain, uh, certain sectors of body report just took all, and we were way behind the curve. For sure, man. And, you know, I guess kind of jumping back here um, with, with the sports section. So, that, uh, you know, just... I'm I'm kind of all over the place, and I'm going back to a conversation we had probably ten minutes ago. But you know, one of the things that just popped in my head that I think's really cool is, you know, not only do you allow the cross promotion, you allow the creativity to sort of flow from whoever it is producing the content. You know, I've one of the one of the struggles I personally had with uh, my previous experience doing journalism. Um, and for the record, that was for a competitor of Bayou Report, which was the Times. You know, I worked for them for seven months. It was my first job out of school. It ended with me getting terminated and let go. Um, but I, I had lost all my confidence for writing because literally everything I wrote was getting micromanaged and picked apart, essentially. And granted, I, I'm a much better writer now than I was six years ago but nonetheless it did a lot to my to my confidence every time i'd hand something in it would get butchered and get sent back and say fix this 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 um and then when i would fix it it would go to print and it would be completely different from what i wrote so with buy report it's refreshing because one of the things that I, I'm I was allowed to do was, hey, come up with the name for what you want your column to be. Huddle up with Hotard seems easy enough. And then I started doing the the no huddle videos uh, on top of the columns I'm sending you guys. And it's just it's free flowing. There's this there's not this pressing need to micromanage or say, no, I don't like this, I don't like this. Now of course if there's a spelling error or whatever it may be. You know, your staff is on top of that and says, hey, you got to fix this. Okay, great. Easy. But it's it's allowing the people who you have on staff what you brought them there to do. And 
I, I, again, that's just such a refreshing vibe and feeling to a news site. Yeah, micromanage. There, you. There's no creativity and there's no exploration of growth through micromanagement. It's a management style that just simply should not be. Uh, I want to encourage creativity because you may spark something that may allow all of us to win. So if you suppress creativity and suppress growth, what is your purpose of doing what you're doing? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, now, diving away from, from Bayou Report, I, I wanted to bring this up uh, because he was previously on an, an episode of the podcast, um, and that's, of course, our mutual friend and uh, stand-up comedian, Nate Welsh, um, which, uh, are you still working with Nate? Because you were for a while, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So he, um, so Nate, uh, another another Nichols alum. Uh, he was he graduated same time as me, which we had talked about and alluded to on on the episode of the podcast where I had him on. But you guys were were frat brothers, correct? Correct. So so Nate Nate, you've known him a long time, you know, and I think most people when we were in school knew Nate because he was. The bald-headed, you know, he makes fun of himself looking like a redneck in his bits of comedy, and it's true. You know, you Nate sticks out like a sore thumb. He stuck out like a sore thumb bouncing at last call in downtown Thibodeau. So how, how did you and Nate sort of uh, concoct the, the business relationship once he decided to move to Hollywood and take his, take his comedic talents to Los Angeles? Well, that's exactly how it started. I was I was already living in Los Angeles, and prior to I was conversing with Nate. Well, it, it started longer before that. When he started writing his first script, I don't even know what day he began, but around 2012, 2013, like almost on a monthly basis, he would stop by. I would review it. I would offer my suggestions, and that continued for years. Then in 2017, I moved to Los Angeles. And I think months later, him and I talked via phone. He was discussing, hey, I want to move there. I'm more of the, hey, I'm not the I want to person do something. I'm going to do it. So I said, well, let me know when you get here. He got there. He took a leap of faith. Yep. He moved He moved to California. Uh, I lived in downtown L.A. He lived in Hollywood. But we got together, and that's when I you know, decided that, him and I were going to work together because when you move to a different state and don't know anybody, know a few people, you want to make sure you have some sort of network and some sort of assistance. Absolutely. So just kind of help him get his foot in the door, acquainted with California, and help him get to the next level with comedy script. And let me tell you, Nate's a grinder. When he wants something, he, he's a grinder. And I can't, I, I can always say this, I can appreciate when someone truly wakes up every morning and said, today I'm going to grind. And when he didn't, he'll tell you, I held him accountable. I called him out. And um, that's the type of people you need in your network. Say, hey, keep grinding, keep moving forward, keep pressing forward. And that's that's how our relationship cultivated. Well, with Nate, you know, I Nate and I are cut from similar cloths in a sense because, you know, one of the things that uh, – uh, employers have told me is the self-awareness Nate's similar to that and I saw that in college like I said we had all these classes together and when you say Nate's a grinder like he worked his ass off on his video packages and 
you know, he's a very self-aware dude. So um, it, it's awesome to see him doing those good things. And I remember whenever, again, going back to Facebook, I'd see these people pop up that you're associated with as far as business goes. And when I saw Nate, I was like, ah, dude, look at my boy Nate and my boy John. So um, that's cool. Now, with with him moving to Hollywood and stuff like that, one point you kind of touched on that is fitting the bill for me right now uh, was moving to a new city and needing needing some outlets, needing a network to start with. And, you know, I, I don't know if we've talked about this, but one of the things I, I my family and I are planning on doing soon is moving to Atlanta. And luckily for me, I've met enough people, um, including having relatives over there, that can help me get my foot in some doors out there, which is always a good thing. But, dude, when you talk about moving to a new place, new city, it's exciting, but it's also very scary. So um, when you decided to to leave Louisiana and head over to uh, California, you know, what was what was kind of that mindset uh, heading in? My mindset, uh, I always wanted to ch- challenge myself to diversify my portfolio, rather to be financial, clients, uh, locations, coast to coast. And in twenty at the end of 2016, I kind of evaluated that. And I'm covering a lot of the country. East Coast, South, North. But like, man, I'm not doing anything in West Coast, one of the biggest financial aspects of our country. Mm-hmm. So um, I just put out some fillers. I said, I'm going to take that leap of faith. And I did without knowing anybody or anything. I went out there and I did what I did best, grinded, started making those connections and networks and providing my services to individuals and businesses. That's awesome, man. Now, what's um, what's some of the some of the clientele or businesses that you've worked with out there that, you know, helped helped really establish that footprint on the West Coast? The biggest thing for me was, it's called the restaurant group, it's a management group. We hit the word group at restaurants, they own multiple restaurants. And this one guy and I connected, he said, I sit on this board, and he had five or six restaurants, uh, I think more than that. But I wound up working with five of them, and even one of them was the number one, I think it's currently still the number one restaurant in Venice. Um, so have, just being able to get that first was amazing. And then we launched, uh, a talent division, people who have some type of talent, um, rather they're musical artists, comedy, which is what Nate fell under. And these other instances, I started building my talent network and just working with people, whether it be long-term or helping one-time clients. A lot of my business is one-time based, which is phenomenal contracts, reviewing contracts, uh, Helping people with business uh, business proposals or business forms, just all sorts of things in the business sector. And uh, launching new products. So those are some of the things, just a few of the things I was able to do on the West Coast side and still continue to do this day. The only thing that prevented me from going back and forth, which was the plan after two years, was this beautiful thing called COVID-19. Yeah. Dude, it's, it, it was a train wreck. You know, let's... I guess I'll ask you a little bit about that. So what's some of the ways that impacted your business? Cause I know for me personally, like when I tell you it wiped out almost our entire client base, again, we're, 
we were we're in the infancy stage. We just hit our year mark for for do it all marketing, and uh, a lot of the businesses we work with are are very small businesses. They're they're local, small, family oriented businesses. So when COVID comes and some of these places have to shut down, you know, one of our biggest clients is actually uh, Love Swimming, where Finn goes to his his swim lessons at. Um, they're one of our, our, our bigger clients and, you know, they had to close down for, uh, I think it was two months probably. Um, so they bail out and then slowly a couple of others start bailing out. Now, some of them have been able to roll back in since, but I mean, dude, there's still some that are fighting or recover and it's just been, it's been crazy. So, uh, for you and some of your clients, you know, what's some of your experiences you had with COVID as, as far as business goes? Well, fortunately for us, it almost doubled our clients. Oh, wow. And the reason why that happened, uh, before I get to that part, with our current clientele, our clients begin to start thriving because we found those creative ways to grow, mm-hmm. especially those with retail. We did have, like, one of our big clients, they completely came to a standstill, and it's currently at a standstill because they were 100% live entertainment, live entertainment contracts with casinos and so forth. So they're completely shut down. Um, And they won't be able to reopen until, obviously, there's a vaccine, and these contracts begin where live entertainment is now a thing again. But outside of that particular client, we're beginning. We're, we're, we begin to double because people were looking to take their businesses on the web, mm-hmm. social media market, web presence, web presence, web presence. So we picked up in that aspect of developing websites. We picked up an aspect of developing business plans that uh, include response to COVID nineteen, and also we had businesses that used us to uh, help aid them in getting the PPP the, the uh, payroll protection program yep. and, and different loans. So we had our hands full with COVID. Also, keep in mind, too, during this process is when we launched Carry Swan Club, we said we're yeah. not going to stop because of COVID, and we continue to launch that. So uh, I think we launched a hot sauce during COVID. <laughs> but, uh, so for us, things did pick up like almost double because people were looking to have that presence. Now, with you, you talk about your networks, which obviously your network is a big reason that you were able to to expand during arguably one of the one of the biggest, I guess, impacts of our lifetime. You know, when when we think of um, not just a, a, a national affair but a global affair, you know, COVID is really thrown a lot of things for a loop so with you being able to grow um you know i'm sure that has a lot to do with the network that you've established over the years um but talk about talk about your network and you know the importance of it when when did you really begin to start seeing the value i guess in creating those networks for yourself i would say probably around uh, a launch carry consultant in 2011 I say probably 2013. 2013 was a really defining year for me financially, mentally, business mind. In every aspect, 
I can always go back to 2013 and say that is when I, I've already been in business two years, but 2013 is when I've learned how to really run businesses. And that was the same year where I networked the most. I understand the importance and value of networking. I worked on a Senate campaign as the campaign manager, which took up 99.9% of my time. And uh, that year, I learned everything. I learned my breaking point. I learned what I need to do. I learned habits, um, how to be habitual in everything that I do from waking up. Uh, we're not going to talk about the fitness side because I have a discipline issue there, but we'll get back to that shortly. <laughs> but uh, just, just how to learn to establish those healthy, habitual uh, aspects of my life. And that's where the networking growth came in. Well, and, you know, it's with me... Well, I was, I think I was talking with this with maybe Kyle on the last episode of the podcast, but networking is obviously something that comes up a lot because a lot of the guests that have brought on to this thus far, you know, part of growing their own brands is networking. And, you know, for me, I feel like really towards the back end of college is when I started to see the value in meeting people because it ultimately networking landed me my first job, my second job, my third job, and then networking landed me here with expanding into uh, a company with a couple of partners. So it's such a, it's such a big deal, and I was I was actually texting back and forth with a good friend of mine who's from Atlanta, who is one of the ins I have over there. And, uh, you know, he and I were talking about this exact thing. He's like, dude, it's so much easier to move somewhere if you already have an established uh, network over there because they can help you get your foot in the door with whatever it is that you want to do. And, you know, it's it's something that I feel like young people in college especially need to take advantage of because one of my, I guess – bigger regrets is not networking more when I was in college. So it's, it's super important. And I think you can attest to that with all these businesses that you have your hand in because essentially those networks are going to help you make money and live the best life imaginable. Absolutely. And that's the goal. That's the objective with, you know, I, you had mentioned you were campaign managing and this is something I want to go back to because uh, I happen to see this pop up on one of your posts the other day. Um, I, I forgot what your post was, but I was reading through some of the comments and someone had mentioned, you know, running for political office. So you used to have political aspirations um, and that's kind of, I'm not going to say fallen by the wayside, but you've definitely shifted focus and really more on what you have going with everything that falls under carry holdings. But for you, um, what, you know, is a political career still something that you, you haven't shut the door on? What's, what's the situation there? That door is shut. It's uh, shut completely. <laughs> <laughs> um, that door is shut, shut, shut. Um, I, what I realized I, I ran for, the first thing I ran for was Republican Parish Executive Committee for Lafourche Parish, but I got that because I ran on the polls. So um, I think I can. I think during this election, someone just finally took my spot because I didn't re-run run for re-election. 
But prior to that, I was supposed to run for state senate. We did the surveys, the polling. I was up tremendously. The candidate that I would go against was just in every aspect. There's nothing he could have done to win that race. I just started looking at the political climate. Uh, even the funding was already coming, and I haven't even officially announced, but an article was written by a uh, news outlet that I had those intentions. And at, when I say the very last second, like probably a few days before qualifications, I said, I really like the businesses. I like my clients. I don't want to give it up. I want to work with businesses. I want to work with people. And I had my circle and everyone's still trying to push me, push me. That was probably the, one of the first times I went against what everyone around me was trying to influence me to do and said, no, I, I want to stick to business. So uh, just looking at the political climate today, it's even worse. And it just, I feel like my influence and in what I do best will best benefit our community and economy if I stay a business consultant, a branding consultant, a business manager, and work with companies and clients. That gives me that freedom to do other things, to do on the entrepreneurial projects. It doesn't tie me down. And uh, I, that door is closed. That door is closed. You, you can't pay me to be president. You can't pay me to be senator. I don't <laughs> want it. Yeah, man. It's, you know, I guess with the political climate, I, I mean, dude, it's, I couldn't imagine doing that. You know, I, I joke about this all the time with people. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier how people are getting on social media more because of COVID, or they had been at least. Um, I was one of those people. I mean, I'm on it constantly regardless because of my day job. But, uh, you know, even once that's done or I'm finished with my work, you know, it's tough for me to shut it off some days. So I stick around on it. And I, I've, I've been commenting, posting, doing all these things a lot more on Facebook. And it's, it's funny because I go back and read some of the posts uh, from way back when. I actually deleted one the other day that was just completely awful. I'm not even going to say it out loud. It was one of the most cringeworthy things I think I've ever read that I have written. Um, but... You talk about the political climate, and that's that's one of the sides of it that gets really nasty is the digging up of old tweets, the digging up of things you may have said 10 years ago that you may not still believe to date. Um, dude, it's, it's crazy right now, man, and because of, you know, we, one of the, one of the comparisons I've heard recently uh, is the, the racial comparison, what you know, what racial or racism was, you know, 50, 60 years ago, that's what we're seeing a lot of with political, um, political difference. Because, you know, during the civil rights movement, people, not to say this doesn't happen still because it does more than it should, but, you know, you'd see someone who might be black, might be uh, Latino, Latina, and automatically start assuming the worst it was common practice um and now with democrat republican conservative liberal whatever the case may be these labels are now becoming basically punchlines for people so i i can't imagine diving into the political arena just from a standpoint of 
how much crap you got to be willing to take to wake up each morning and do it all over again. Yeah, absolutely. And we are one of the, we do have a client on the Carry Consult Group that we are running a campaign for, which when she asked, I told her absolutely not. I don't know how we're doing it, but um, <laughs> she's, she's very good at convincing. She's a good friend of mine. She's an attorney, attorney a criminal defense attorney. And she is currently running for judge. So that right there is a little bit more tolerable for me because, you know, her as an independent thinker, which every judicial candidate and judge should be. Absolutely. uh, It it creates an easier path to put out your messaging about what you can and can't do for judge and what kind of judge you're going to be. So we do have one, hopefully our last political client <laughs> <laughs> so just trying to get out of it 100 percent. absolutely yeah for sure man um with uh i i guess with with the political side of it so now with buy report you know obviously that's going to be something that you cover and i mean dude you picked a hell of a time to launch buy your report because well we got a presidential election coming up in November, um, and that's this year. Yeah, <laughs> really didn't didn't know that. Didn't hear anything about it. <laughs> nothing about it at all. Nothing. <laughs> but but no, man. So you know, and even even the comment section on Buy Report, you know, you you see it sometimes, and I'm just like, oh man. And uh, dude, to be completely honest with you. That is one of the toughest parts about being tied to that page now is because when when we do get a post that gains traction, obviously I'm happy we're getting the traction, but then I'm reading some of the comments and I'm just like, damn it, Michael, don't shit where you eat. Like, I have to restrain myself from some of the stuff I'm seeing, and I'm just like, oh, God, all right. If I get a notification, just hurry up, get rid of the notification, don't read anything. <laughs> But that's been one of the, I guess, tough parts for me. But yeah, man, it's it's gonna be interesting. And you know, with with uh, with buy report because there is a uh, election campaign, I, I can't wait to see how much this grows by year's end. Because come the end of 2020, I mean, from the campaign alone, I think you guys are gonna see a huge uptick in in your traffic and coverage. And dude, honestly. With the way it's going, man, I, I I guess what are the projections now? I mean, I know five thousand was your end goal originally, but I guess now what's what's the projection you're kind of seeing before the end of twenty twenty? I have the slightest idea, <laughs> but if if it continues to stay at this rate, uh, because we are right now, we do have something that is out there under our investigator investigative journalism mm-hmm. section which is a hot piece right now dealing with corruption and we're on part, we're about to release part three of an eight part series. So I probably expect over at least over 10 by fall. Yeah. So end of the year, I'm unsure, but we're, we're constantly growing because people from what you've seen is just one aspect of journalism, investigative journalism. What people are not seeing is the emails and the messages and yeah. the calls that we're getting that has nothing to do with that piece. It has things to do with other aspects and other areas of the region we have yet to begin to cover. Because people are seeing, like, 
The only thing we're putting out is evidence or information that is either public, public search, or authenticated by us. Obviously, you're going to have hundreds and hundreds of people say, oh, this person did this because they're upset about something, yada, yada. Absolutely. So you got you to gotta sort through all the personal issues. And it's a, it's a very strong authentication process. We have people from all kinds of positions and legal and or government officials that are helping with this. People within different departments and witnesses. Our panel of witnesses is, man, when I tell you that is one thing I wish we can release is our panel of witnesses. It will blow the minds of individuals across this region, uh, which is why we're confident in our growth, because we do have that trust and credibility factor. People have confidence because we're not releasing names, not releasing unless they say, hey, I want my name to be released. And then even then they have to sign something. So our, our process is very thorough to make sure that we can, you know, pride ourselves in having one of the best investigative pieces. Well, dude, and that's that's just that's it. You know, the moral fiber for for the publication is so intact. Um, and I talked about this earlier with it being a lost art for being objective, but that's the other side of this is the moral fiber of not only wanting to do the right thing, but actually doing the right thing and not burning bridges or having to make, and I'm sure it'll happen at some point where retraction needs to be made, but so far, even with all the sensitive information that you guys have posted with this eight-part series, no retractions have had to be made. Everything is pretty much going according to plan, um, and it's because of that that process of vetting through it properly. Um, so it, it's a huge hat to the investigative team. And you know, one of the one of the cliches that we hear all the time is with great power comes great responsibility. And when it comes to sensitive information, that applies tenfold. You know, I, I've had this conversation with people before, with even with the, with the blog. You know, I, I have a few ins in the arena of sports. Um, you know, when the Mark Ingram crap went down with the Saints, I was getting fed some information from a, a good friend of Ingram's, and... I was talking about it with somebody who I trust that I know won't say anything. But, you know, it, it's it's sourcing and people like that, if they can trust you to not ever burn those bridges, I'm the type of person who would rather be in the know than just throw something out there for the sake of getting a couple of likes on my, on my site. You know, I, I like being informed. I like having inside information. And that's when it becomes tricky is, okay, when do you use your inside information? And so far, again, I, I think Bayou Reports has done a fantastic job doing that. And I'll be completely honest with you, and I said this to a lot of people in my team, I said, for Bayou Report, I love the news, I love different aspects of it. I simply just want to be able to, ooh, let's share this, ooh, let's post this. I didn't expect to work. So... <laughs> Not this early. So now we're we're this is completely like sixty percent of our day now. Which hey, we, we follow the things that's priority in our business. Absolutely, man. Um, now 
before we wrap up, you're you know you've already alluded to this on the podcast. You're a creature of habit. One of the things that I, um, I remember you doing a video a while ago. Um, and the, when I say a while ago, I think it's been a couple of years since you released this video, but. Um, you had talked about your morning routine in the video. You know, you get up, you wake coffee, you read a couple of patch passages from your Bible. Um, so when you're a creature of habit, I, I think going back to the moral fiber of by report, I think because of that tie, um, to your religion and to your faith and things like that, I think that's part of the establishment as far as why this, I guess for lack of a better term, the moral high ground is intact for by report. So, um, you know, with you being a creature of habit, are, are you still doing all those same things? Like when, when you talk about some of those habits you do day in, day out, like reading the Bible, your coffee, whatever it is, what's some of the day to day that you do that you do not miss? Reading the Bible and praying, I would never miss a day. That's, that just won't happen. Coffee, I won't never miss a day of coffee. But every every day, you know, four thirty in the morning I wake up. Uh five ish at the latest. Get up, prayers first, Bible, no emails, none of that. I wanna do all all my prayer and meditation with God first. Um, some sort of cardio, whether it be outside, indoors, and then I'll follow up by having my coffee, either at the office or um, if I'm in Louisiana, I'll go to spars in the morning, almost every morning, at the beginning of the week, every morning. Uh, if I'm in Los Angeles, I go to a coffee. Wherever I'm at, I'm having coffee. Um, and then I'll do my emails, and then I'll start whatever my process is. Some days it's meetings to discuss every entity and whatever the priority is that, of that entity, reviewing reports, finances. Uh, so those, those things occur every single day. Well, Monday through Friday. Um, a little bit of a Saturday, always the prayer, always the coffee. And then Sundays, my electronics go completely off. Every electronics. You cannot get in contact with me only Sunday. That's A, man. That's a, it's a hell of a thing to do to close the week, and it's something that more people, including myself, should probably do. Um, and the last question before we wrap up, because I've always just found this particularly interesting, and it goes back to when you messaged me. Um, you know, we talked about networking, and uh, one of the things with networking is first impressions. And I find it particularly funny because I got asked to be a column writer by a guy I had a math class with in which I slept for most of the class. I'd come in, we sat next to each other, have a conversation before class started, and then I would pass out. So Not most. Not <laughs> most all of class, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just funny to me because, like, whenever uh, – legit, when I got that message, I thought about that because I'm like, it's, it's just ironic that – this dude's first impression of me was probably, dude, this bum is sleeping again. Like, what the hell is his deal? Um, it was my, I, I think that was my first semester. I think it was fall semester. So I think it was my first. And I remember it was a Tuesday, Thursday class early in the morning. And, dude, I was staying up till 4 o'clock most nights playing video games because, well, hey, I'm in college. I do what I want. And yep. would pass out every day. So it was just funny that the person who... I was friends with in the class who watched me sleep was like, ah, 
Maybe I'll invite him to be part of uh, buy report. So I, I just find that interesting. So let me let me follow that up with this. What uh, I guess what attracted what attracted you to me as far as helping you guys with with buy report? Well, it's just like obviously what you just said when I first met you. It was you. You've always slept. That's all you did. You got to class. You spoke. <laughs> we talked for about two minutes. Teacher walks in. You were out. <laughs> and that goes back to looking at everyone. You mentioned something about, you know, blacks, Latinas. When you when people automatically judge someone based on their skin color, based on their background. Me, I don't look at people from where, who, where they came from, what skin they have on. I look at people at what they produce and their character. And this first impressions was always, I'm a big, like, you name a quote, I probably won't agree with that quote. I hate quotes. Yeah. I, I hate cliches. But I, I don't like the word first impressions with anybody. Um, I'm like, I want to get to know this person. This person may be seeming like a jerk, but why is this person a jerk? Just like with Nate, our good friend Nate, everyone looked at him as a jokester, as a comedian. I looked at him as creative. Yes. And with you, you produce, you produce content, great content, just sports articles were and are amazing. So absolutely, of course, I wanted to have that on my report. So that that is how that came about. That is why I asked you to be a part of what will be an amazing news and media outlet because you're of your quality content and not because of your old school habits. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, dude, and even going back to this, like one of the things, again, like kind of letting the creativity flow, um, even in the videos I produce, you know, you see media entities and outlets, and of course it's uniform, and, you know, that's just sort of the establishment. You know, you wear the polos. Me, for a lot of these videos, I'm wearing a shirt that typically says something about my interests. You know, a lot of my, a lot of the shirts I wear, it's it's essentially subliminal messaging for who I am. It, it, it either features an athlete I like, it features a movie I love. So, um, you know, because pop culture and sports and everything like that have just always been a huge influence of mine. So um, it, it's cool that you just kind of let that creativity flow. And even going back to the whole bit about first impressions, I, I feel similar to that as well because there are people that I have met at first they didn't give me a good vibe. Or there's people I've met at first, they gave me a great vibe. And then a couple of months down the road, once the true colors come out, you see that person for who and what they are. So, uh, you know, I've always kind of felt similarly in that regard as well when it comes to first impressions. I agree. So uh, before we wrap up, John, is there anything you'd like to talk about or add? No, I really am grateful and humbled that you have me on your podcast. Absolutely, man. It was a pleasure talking. And again, uh, Kerry Holdings, Buy Your Report, 985 Products, all these different entities, which I'll share uh, all these links um, within the, the post of this podcast. So if you hey, want to check. You, you can only just share one, kerryhq.com. Everything is on there. Perfect. Kerryhq.com. KerryHQ.com. You heard that? So uh, for John Kerry, I'm Michael Hotzard. As always, honor the huddle. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.